All right. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let me read this again. Um, very familiar story, so we got to concentrate on not just going, oh yeah, Martha, Mary, don't work, worship. Yeah, I got it, right? Like, stop. If you've heard it before, let's just tune all that out and let's do this anew. Amen. Let's see what the Lord has for us this morning. So I'm going to read uh, again from the, uh, from the same verses, Luke 10, 38 to 42. It says this, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Uh, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Uh, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this moment and uh, this passage and this story and these women um, and just all of the opportunities we have to uh, learn and to hear from you. Um, we know that we, um, we hear your voice through your word, and we know that you call us to, uh, to concentrate on that, to spend time to... Uh, dedicate in some ways ourselves and our lives to hearing from you, uh, that we might know you and follow your words. Um, and so we, we know that there's a, uh, there's a real physical uh, human difficulty in that. Um, sometimes we're prone to think it's not worthy or sometimes we're just simply overwhelmed with life. Um, and so we pray that you would call us today into peace, that you would call us today into um, just your grace for us that you, uh, you have so much more for us than just simply a task list. Um, and that is a tremendous message coming from God um, who is perfect and just um, and holy and righteous. Uh, that you have given us not just things to do, but you've given us yourself. Uh, and that is tremendous. Um, so would you tune our hearts to that reality today? Um, even if we're familiar with this passage, just help us tune in to you and your word by your spirit. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Awesome. So um, as is kind of uh, a difficulty that we might have if we're familiar with things, we, we've got to take a moment and just really pause and make sure that we uh, that we kind of decipher what's going on. And uh, one of the ways I want to do that this morning is, uh, and I might ruff, ruff, ruffle, ruffle some feathers this morning uh, by saying this, but I want, to, I want to talk about three things that, that Jesus isn't saying in this passage, okay? Um, and, and there might be a chance that kind of as you heard Heather read this this morning, where your mind went to might have been one of these three things. Um, there's, there's some people that are incredibly near and dear to my heart um, that would think this teaching has to do with one of the three things that I'm about to mention. And I just think that this story leads us away from 
uh, these simple um, and kind of unnuanced um, lessons, and I want to I pull us away from them. So I want to name them first and then uh, move into more of what we're really seeing Jesus do here. So three things that Jesus isn't teaching here. Number one uh, that isn't being taught is that being busy with serving others is sin. Another thing that is not being taught is that we don't need to serve Jesus. Uh, we don't need to serve because Jesus would rather us just sit at his feet. And the number three thing that isn't being taught is that learning from Jesus is more pleasing to Jesus or is truer worship than doing tasks of service. All right, so breaking those down one at a time. Number one, being busy with serving others is sin. Jesus is not teaching us in this story that being busy serving others is sin. That is not a true statement. Why is that not a true statement? Well, because it's incongruent with pretty much all of the rest of Scripture, right? For instance, if you're in your Bible and you're looking at Luke 10, right, if you back up just one chunk before this chunk, what do you have right there? We went over it several weeks ago. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? In the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus tells a lesson about the kind of person we should be if we expect to be in his kingdom following after him. And what does the kind of person that we should be in the story of the Good Samaritan do? He serves. He serves hard, right? He gives of his time and his energy and his money to help somebody in need, right? So therefore, we know that serving others and being busy, being almost completely dedicated to just that thing, that that isn't necessarily in itself sin. And so we have to pause in some of our judgments about this passage because the, the idea that that is sin will lead us to an incorrect conclusion, right? Does that make sense? Um, but, and we're going to see this in a minute, that the self-righteous or judgmental off attitude that often accompanies serving, that that is a sin, okay? But I'm already ahead of myself. We'll get to that. Jesus is not saying that serving people is sinful, okay? Just plain and simply not. And you might think that's a, a dramatic overstatement, but I think it's a nuanced thing that sometimes gets read into the story and we have to be careful. Secondly, we don't need to serve because Jesus would rather us sit at his feet. That is an untrue statement, okay? That is an untrue statement. Why is that an untrue statement? Well, it's an untrue statement because I think an either-or approach to life like that is not the proper way to weigh uh, the, the, the biblical evidence of what is a full and good Christian life. Right? To say it's either or misses so much about the both and realities that God calls us to in our lives. Right? Like if you're a parent, right, you should prioritize your marriage and you should prioritize your child. <laughs> if you if you'd say it's one or the other, then one or the other will suffer dramatically. But if you can hold this tension, and it's probably going to be in your life an ever-pressing back-and-forth tension of, oh my gosh, I'm over-prioritizing one. Oh my gosh, I'm over-prioritizing another. Right? If you walk in that tension to realize God has called me to a both-and situation, then I must walk in that tension and not just simply dismiss one for the sake of another. So likewise, we are not supposed to just simply dismiss serving for hearing from Jesus. Right? We not, should not just dismiss hearing from Jesus for serving, right? We cannot walk in this kind of dualistic type of uh, reality. The scriptures just don't lead us to that situation. 
Um, and this passage really isn't giving us uh, two identifiers for the kinds of people in the world, right? Like, I think that's one of the most damaging things that's done with Mary and Martha. It's like, a, well, I'm a Martha. Oh, my gosh. Like, let's work really hard to not ever just label me as one Bible character, okay? I have never been to the totality of one single Bible character ever in my entire life, and neither have you. I'm just a Mary. What does that even mean, right? Like, we can really be dismissive and flippant and make excuses for ourselves and even slide into sin or sloth or doctrinal error by saying I'm one or the other of these two people, right? Sure, you probably have some tendencies that are more like Mary. Sure, you might have some tendencies that are more like Martha. This passage isn't here to tell you, yeah, just be you, right? This passage is actually here to tell you there's some things in your heart that Jesus is going to confront, right? That's kind of why this is here. And we're going to see that in a minute with some of Jesus' pointed words to Martha. Um, And then thirdly, and this is, again, really nuanced, that learning from Jesus is more pleasing to Jesus or truer worship than doing tasks of service. I don't think that's true. Um, I don't think we can come to this story and say, see, Jesus doesn't want me to work. He just wants me to study the Bible and pray. Um, No. The biblical evidence is that if you don't work, you don't eat. Um, and that work is a gift from God. If you're in our city groups right now, we're walking through this, this whole reality of what the gospel means to our work, um, and we haven't come to this place yet. We've looked at the Genesis narrative, and we've talked about the, the good creation of God's work. We haven't come to this place yet where we've said, yeah, and there comes a time in your life where you just completely stop working and only sit at Jesus' feet. That's what it means to be a true human and a better Christian. Right? Like that's just not biblically what we see going on in life. We do see in this passage, we'll get to it in a minute, a proper weighing in light of eternity and true goodness, we do see a proper weighing of the things that we can give ourselves to. Um, but we do not see just an outright, you know, work is not good, worship is good. In fact, Scripture leads us to a, to a, a proper view of work in that work actually is worship, right? And underworking could be idolatry, so could overworking, but working rightly with the gospel as our power and the spirit leading us through it is actually an act of worship. And so when we work rightly, when we serve rightly, we are worshiping just like the one that is sitting at Jesus' feet learning. Okay? So those are those three things. If you want to have a fight, that's fine. We can do that. Um, I don't mean to say these things just to be dismissive and arrogant myself, but I've seen harm done uh, when we park our car in one of these three places um, harm that, seriously, some people that I love, it's, it's, it's been in their life for 20 to 25 to 30 years. Um, and they've felt dismissed, you know, by certain ideas from this story. Um, they've, they've felt kind of siloed or packaged or, 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 or prejudged. Um, and, and it can really, really be a harmful thing. So before we get into what I believe Jesus is really getting at in this story... Um, I just want to touch on a small side note that kind of piggybacks off of last week, and that is that this story is focusing on women, which is really cool, right? Um, Later, well, actually in uh, in John, the Gospel of John, we find out that Jesus really loved these two women, like they were really dear friends of his. Um, And they had a brother, and his name was Lazarus. And Jesus really loved Lazarus, too. And Lazarus died, and Jesus was really broken up about Lazarus dying to the point where he wept about it um, and later uh, went to the tomb, or three days later, whatever, he he, he went to the tomb and raised Lazarus out out of the grave. So where's Lazarus in this story is kind of my question. 
right? In light of this really momentous situation that happens uh, in history, why would Lazarus not be named by Luke? Um, well, we talked about that last week where Luke intentionally focuses on the fact that Jesus' ministry is, is touching and targeting and pulling in women, right? And Luke wants that to be a focus of his gospel. He wants to counteract some of the cultural ideas about men and women and say, listen, Jesus is welcoming women. So much so that if you were a first century Jew, you would read this passage and you would hear Luke saying, Mary is a disciple. That's what you would hear Luke saying. You would hear him saying, Mary is a studious and attentive learner, listener, and follower of Rabbi Jesus. Because literally the phrase, at his feet, is what it meant to follow a rabbi. To go and learn from the teaching of a rabbi in Jesus' day was to sit at their feet, right? Paul uses the same kind of language when he talks about how he learned from Gamaliel. He sat at his feet. Like, this is the, 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 the language that's used. It's like you saying, I went to class, right? It's kind of the same idea. And so Mary's going to class, and in her day, going to class was reserved for men, right? Because men could excel in these religious environments. Men were allowed to learn in these religious contexts. Men were encouraged to move forward into temple ministry or synagogue ministry or whatever, and women were not. And so Jesus is welcoming Mary into the company of disciples, and Luke is very clear to point that out. Mary's a disciple, right? Not a 12, but she's a disciple. She's a follower, a learner, a listener. She's here taking note of what the rabbi is saying. And so it's really important that we see that Jesus is again in a kind of countercultural situation here where um, he's welcoming these women who sat at his feet and listened to his teaching. All right, so uh, let me read verses 38 and 39 again, and then we're going to look at three things in this story. So it says this, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So three things. We're going to look at the good in Martha. We're going to look at the sin in Martha. And then finally, we're going to look at the good portion of Mary. The good in Martha, the sin in Martha, and the good portion of Mary. So let's start with what we cannot miss lest we misinterpret Jesus' words. That is the good in Martha. Right? We really need to see that there is some serious good going on in Martha's life. So back up to the beginning of chapter 10, and Jesus sends out 72 disciples. Um, this is a significant turning point in the book of Luke. Like if you, read, if you were to sit down this afternoon and read through all of Luke, you would notice a giant shift happening here in chapter 10, and that is Jesus is going mobile. Okay? Up to this point, he's primarily been in Galilee and places near Galilee. Right At this point, Jesus decidedly and very clearly begins the journey southward toward Jerusalem. Prior to beginning this journey, he sends 72 people out ahead of him with instructions because they're going to go kind of prepare the way for him as they journey to Jerusalem. In those instructions, they say, if you find a friendly house, then like chill out there. 
right? If, you, if you're welcome, then, 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 then kick off your feet, your shoes, not your feet. That would be crazy. Kick off your sandals and, 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 and abide there in that home, right? And so these, these groups of two are going ahead into these different villages, and there's some that are welcoming them, and there's some that are not. And Mary and Martha's village is a place where they're welcomed. In particular, Martha's home is a place that they are welcomed, right? And what, what, does, Mar- what does Martha do? She opens this house she welcomes them in, and she works really hard to make it a comfortable place for people to hang out, right? Contrast this with what we talked about last week in Luke chapter 7. Do you remember this? Luke 7, verse 44 and following says this, Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, this is Jesus in Simon's home, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, right? But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. What a significant contrast we have between Simon, a religious leader that should be the kind of person who respects and honors Jesus, and Martha, a woman who's working really hard to welcome Jesus, right? You see what Luke keeps doing over and over again? Arrogant religious people that think they belong do not, right? Those who society casts aside and says you don't deserve to be here, they do, right? This is the message of Jesus over and over and over again. And Martha is responding in a beautiful way, right? She's opened his, her house to welcome them in. And so she is doing a praiseworthy thing, but somewhere, as we see in the process, it goes from worship and thankfulness to worry and bitterness, right? What begins as warm and inviting and wonderful starts to move towards rigid and calloused and remorseful, right? There's a change somewhere in the process. I don't know if it happened right away or just later. I don't know. It's hard to tell. But just the act of being willing to open her home and working hard to make things ready seems like such a thing that we should value and honor. But then we have to pay attention to not just the fact that Martha is doing some good, but that, in fact, in her heart there is sin that Jesus wants to point out. Okay? Verses 40 and 41 of our passage says, But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Right? And so the moment that Jesus runs into here is is an internal moment with Martha. There's stuff going on inside of Martha, even in the midst of the external goodness of serving, that makes Jesus kind of just plain and simply call her out, right? To Martha, her serving is either right or better than Mary's sitting and learning, okay? Now, we've got to recognize maybe some of this is cultural, Maybe some of this is Martha going, ah, woman's place is in the kitchen, right? Maybe that's what Martha's doing. Maybe Martha's thinking, us women don't belong in there with the men. Mary, 
get over here and serve, right? Maybe there's some cultural stuff going on in Martha that Jesus is as likely concerned about as Luke is with his gospel. He's confronting these moments, right? And so Jesus is telling Mary, actually, this is the right choice. This is a good choice for Mary. It's an okay place for her to be. In fact, she's welcomed in this place. It's a praiseworthy place that she's at, right? So I think that is happening. I think Martha has that cultural thing going on, and that's, that's being confronted in this moment, right? But I think even more so than that cultural thing, there's hard things going on in, in uh, Martha. And the reason I say that is because of some of the, the language that's used here in verses 40 and 41. And also we see that Jesus often, in individual conversations with people, says things that at face value would seem to be moral imperatives that should apply to absolutely everybody, but in fact are things that are said specifically for the person to prick them in the heart. Okay? The rich young ruler in particular comes to mind when, it, when I think of this kind of conversation. So we went over this year or two, whatever ago, when we were in Mark. Mark chapter 10, a rich young ruler comes up and tells Jesus he's a good teacher, tells him I know how to follow the law, and Jesus says what? Sell everything you own. Give all the proceeds away and come and be my disciple. Right? Now, a misinterpretation of the passage of the rich young ruler is to apply those three statements to all Christians and to say you must sell everything you own, give all the earnings away to the poor, and be a homeless follower of Jesus. Right? Are these biblical moral imperatives? No. Those, those things do not apply to everybody. Jesus was not making giant sweeping statements for all Christians when he was speaking to the rich young ruler. What he was doing to the rich young ruler was saying, you're worshiping an idol, you're worshiping an idol, you're worshiping an idol, you're worshiping an idol. And as long as you worship an idol, you cannot follow me. And then he points out, man, it's hard for rich people to get in the kingdom of heaven. Why did he say that? Because wealth is a giant idol in our world. Always has been, always will be. Jesus wasn't telling us, go sell everything. Give money, all the money to the poor and just follow me. Jesus isn't telling Martha, isn't telling all Christians, stop serving, sit down and listen. He's saying, Martha, you're worshiping an idol. Martha, you're worshiping an idol. That's the conversation that Jesus is having. And I, I, I was going to get into this, but I decided not to get into this, but I'm going to just mention this. I don't even know which, this is how much I didn't look into it. Maybe it's Ezekiel, maybe it's Isaiah. One of the prophets declares to the nation of Israel, you come up to me and try to worship me. And you've got these idols in your hands. And so long as you keep approaching me to talk to me and you're holding idols, all I'm going to talk to you about is your idols. It's a giant theme in scripture. Dear God, bless me. Dear God, bless me. Dear God, bless me. I want you to set down your idol. That's what you're going to hear from Jesus again and again. I want you to worship what is true and greater. I want you to let go of these things that you think are going to bring you life. I want you to, to forsake those righteous deeds that you think are cleaning you up, I want you to forsake those things. Forsake the hope in those things. Forsake the desire to hold on to those things. 
forsake that and grab what is good, what is better, what is best. That's what Jesus is doing to Martha. Drop your idol, Martha. Drop your idol. I almost hear him say, honey, <laughs> right? The Martha, Martha. That's a tender, you know, like it's not the Brady Bunch. It's like legit tender pulling her in. It's, it's son, son, daughter, daughter, my child, my child, right? Jesus isn't angry at Martha. Jesus isn't shaming Martha. Jesus is saying, I'm so much better than an idol, right? Because look at this idolatry in Martha's life. Verse 40, it starts with, Martha was distracted. Martha was distracted. That doesn't sound like joyous service, right? That doesn't sound like the woman with the long hair and the tears and the ointment at the feet of Jesus, right? A response of gratitude. She's distracted, right? And we get this. We really get it. We get the overwhelming nature of service. We get the overwhelming nature of just the tasks of life and how distracting they can be, how they can pull us away from what is meaningful. Does it mean we shouldn't do them? No, it hasn't. It almost has nothing to do with doing or not doing. <laughs> That's why I said those first three points. It, it almost has nothing to do with doing or not doing. How are you doing? How is your heart in the doing? Where is your mind while you're doing? Right? That's what's going on here. Look at verse 40 again. Martha says, my sister has left me to serve alone. Right? Her concentration is not on the joy of bringing help to other people in her living room. Her concentration is on how lazy your sister is. <laughs> right? That's not joy of service. That's self-righteousness. That's look at what I do that they don't do and how it makes me better, right? Look at how I'm in the right. If everyone else were like me, man, we'd be in good shape. It's like, ah, so bad, right? Like our world is just filled in this age of outreach with, with everything to respond to all the evil that is out there, and I get it, we should in many ways, but if we spent half the time looking at our own hearts, and evaluating the sin in our own lives, man, the world would transform. It really, really would. It would be a different place. Also look at Jesus' words to Martha. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled. Right? You are anxious and troubled. Now, if I'm going to pigeonhole you and call you a Martha, right? You're the kind of person who likes to have festivities at your home. Love to invite people over, right? Love to open it up for it to be warm and welcoming. You love to tell people, yeah, man, my food's your food. Go on, open the fridge, right? And there comes a moment in the party where you get to decide whether this is going to be about the delight of other people anymore or not. And I've seen that key switch change in life, right? And suddenly the welcoming atmosphere that was created by that person who had so much delight in service is turned into this, this like, I don't want to touch, I don't want, I don't want any more punch, I don't want any more punch. Because she's rolling her eyes now. Because he's doing the huff puff thing. I don't want any more punch. Nope, not going to ask for a napkin. I'm not even going to, 
I don't even want to sit on the couch. I don't even want to sit on the couch because it, like, the wrath is coming, right? Like, there, there's a difference in the, man, I'm in this for other people, um, than there is in the being deeply anxious, right? And being troubled about all the things. And somewhere in this process, Martha has gone through that change. She was doing a good thing. She really was. For how long was it a good-hearted thing? We don't know. But somewhere along the way, she begins to look down on her sister. And somewhere along the way, she was not worshiping through her actions. She was stressing. And Jesus does not bring her down to beat her up and make her feel bad. What Jesus was trying to do was liberate her from the improper understanding of why he was there. Right? Jesus had not come to Martha's house to give her some things to do. Jesus had come to Martha's house to give her himself. This is the gospel. Jesus has not come to you to give you a list of things to do. Jesus has come to you to give you himself. And oh, what a good thing it is to receive Jesus. And that's the final portion, the good portion of Mary. Verse 42, but one thing is necessary. These are still Jesus' words. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Jesus points out that the good, the better, the higher, the weightier, thing here in this moment is to hear from him to be with him right and for us we can draw a direct parallel okay for mary to sit at the feet of jesus is the same thing for us to hear the words of jesus right to receive the teaching of the word okay it's the same thing Every single commentator I read this week said the exact same thing. It's just, that's the biblical idea. In their day, they got to sit and actually hear the words of Jesus. In our day, we get to open the book and hear the words of Jesus. Okay? Because these are all the words of Jesus. Right? We desperately need the Holy Spirit, according to John 14 and John 16, to come into our lives to point us to the truth about Jesus in the scriptures. Okay, so we have a great gift. Man, I don't get to sit at Jesus. Yeah, but you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, which takes your mind and takes these words and makes it into more than just ideas. Makes it the very words of God. Okay, and so for us as believers, that's the direct parallel, right? The listening to Jesus that's on display in Mary's life is proper and praised, and Jesus says that it is necessary and it is good. Right? So for us, the prioritization of hearing from Jesus, it ought to be weighed different in our lives than every other thing we could be busy with. It's not to say the busy is bad, the reading receiving is good. It's that there's a different weight involved here. Right? There's a different weight. Right? The benefit of exercise, what is it? It's good. <laughs> really, really good. But it is not eternal. It is not eternal. The benefit of working hard is good, 
but it is not eternal. The, the benefit of dedicating yourself to eating well is good, but it is not eternal. The benefit of remodeling your house or keeping it clean, those are good things, but they are not eternal things. The benefit of a well-groomed yard is good, but it is not eternal. We can fill our lives with all sorts of good, and this passage isn't here telling us to stop doing that. What it's here to tell us is that we need to weigh properly the things that take our time. And we need to properly prioritize hearing Jesus. And the question about that is how? Well, we mainly hear the voice of Jesus today by reading scripture, by hearing the gospel proclaimed, and by partaking in the means of grace. This is the ways that we hear from Jesus. So to expound on it on these a little bit. The reading of scripture is something that I highly encourage just to develop as a habit in your life. Whether you're a morning reader or an afternoon reader or a night reader, I don't know. I've found morning better for me. That's not me telling you you got to do morning, right? Um, find out. Figure it out. If it starts with a proverb a day, just start there, right? If it starts with a psalm a day, Start somewhere. We talked about the beginning of the year. I think I forwarded, uh, posted a list of reading um, plans, right? Encourage you to grab onto one of those. Right now, I'm reading scripture through my iPad. It's the first time I've ever done my scripture reading digitally. And I'm walking through uh, a, an app called Read Scripture. Um, it's put together by the people at the Bible Project. And it's been just tremendous. They have like little videos every once in a while that help you to understand what you're reading, which is really cool. Um, and they usually give you two to four chapters a day and then also a psalm to read. And so I'm reading through that. Right? I was going chron it, it actually goes chronologically. So it starts in Genesis and it walks forward through the wandering and Exodus and then it looks at the kingdom being established and then it looks at the exile. And I mean, it's just, it kind of walks through the whole storyline of Scripture. So that's been really, really helpful. But that's, that's not enough, right? Mainly because by ourselves, we don't have enough to understand everything that we read. And so to sit in isolation by ourselves in our own study, I, I don't think is the full diet that the Lord would ask or would encourage and, and, and cheer us on toward um, in, in, the, in the Christian journey. And so we need others. We need, we need others to, to learn from. We need others to learn with. And we need others to teach. Like we need to teach others. I would highly encourage you to have those three areas of scripture reading involved in your life. Where you're reading it, but you're also learning from somebody while you're reading it. Okay? You're also learning with somebody while you're reading it. And somehow, in some way, you're also helping somebody else to understand it. You might think, well, I, I'm not very learned and very wise. You probably know more about the Bible than a non-Christian. Right? You know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are Gospels, and they're stories about Jesus, and a non-Christian might not even know that. Or maybe they have a general idea about it. You could teach them maybe a few things. These are just really helpful in continuing to grow in our understanding of God's Word. Jesus calls this a good portion, taking in the words of Jesus, right? Um, so reading and, and, and reading with people or learning with people, all these things are highly encouraged. Um, but also we really, we see this in the New Testament all over. The prioritization of the preaching of the gospel is something that is central to the life of the church. And so as a follower of Jesus, connected to the life of a church, you should hear the word preached, right? This is a grace that God has given us. 
Um, it is a way that he builds faith, um, and it is a way that he has called us to come and learn and hear, right? And so following after Jesus is giving the proper weight to listening to the preached word of God, right? Giving that proper weight. Um, I think to properly teach this passage requires me to ask, where does church attendance fall on your priorities list? I think you've got to ask that question. If it's a high priority, then I think that's a good response, right? If it's a low priority, I would challenge you to consider in a healthy, beautiful way making it a high priority. I believe it will drastically shape your life in a beautiful direction. Um, and then also we have the regular means of grace that are given to the family of God, right? Things that, 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 that kind of serve as markers uh, or reminders or even as safety guards to just help us keep an eye on the eternal weight of God and his words rather than be distracted by the ever-present pressing needs of non-eternal things. So the means of grace like gathering together as followers of Jesus, breaking bread, having communion together, being reminded of who Jesus is and what he did for us, right? Singing together songs and hymns and spiritual songs and encouraging one another to gather together and do those things. These are parts of the means of grace, the community that God's given us, right? The regular reading of God's word. All these things that have been given to us, they, they seem just like, that's not that big a deal, right? It's like, it's what he's given us. And it's colossal because these are eternal matters. God's word is eternal and it is forever, right? So spiritual growth and growing in godliness, sometimes it might seem painful and slow. Other times it might seem to be on an accelerated track, but be sure to know that no growth will ever take place without God's word in the middle. It just won't, right? And so if we see our total spiritual duty as just serving and leave out the word of God, then we will move like Martha toward bitterness, toward self-righteousness, toward a backwards reversal instead of a forward movement of spiritual growth. And finally, I want to point out the, the words that Jesus uses when he talks about Mary. He says that Mary has chosen the good portion, right? This phrase, the good portion, if you're a good little Jewish kid reading Luke's Bible, what you're going to hear jump off the pages from Luke's gospel is that God was the good portion to people like David and Moses and the writers of the Psalms and to the prophets. That God was seen as the good portion. And so Jesus, in a sneaky little way here, is saying, Mary has chosen God. I am God. To sit at my feet and to hear from me is to choose God, is to choose the good portion, right? Psalm 16:5. I'm going to read the whole verse or the whole passage in just a minute. But Psalm 16:5 says, "The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot." What does it mean to say that the Lord is our portion? It's like declaring that God is enough. When you find in the Psalms the phrase, the good portion, you find it uh, contrasting with the aches and the pains of being in a messed up world, right? Like if you've ever read a Psalm of Lament, it's always like, ah, it's going bad. My enemies are like shooting me down. It even seems like God hates me, but God is enough. Even though I'm not 
prospering. God is enough. Even though my, my, my nation may be falling apart, God is enough. Even though we're going into exile, God is enough. Again and again, the cry that the Lord is our portion is to say that he is satisfying, that he is enough, that if I have him, I truly have all I need. And in light of that reality, everything else in the world falls in its proper place. When God is enough, I don't have to make something else enough. So suddenly my job can be worship and not me being anxious and stressed about many, many things like Martha in her service. The deep call of the Christian is to see that no matter what kind of situation we find ourselves in, if the Lord is our portion, we can face anything. If the Lord is our portion, we can face anything. There is nothing that can separate us from his love, according to Romans 8, that though things around us crumble and fall, that though we may miss things on our to-do list, if the Lord is my portion, in whom I put my trust, where all my hope lies, if that is true, I cannot be shaken. I cannot be torn down. Because he is truly all I need. And guys, I listen. This is not a preacher saying, I know how to make the Lord my portion, so you better be like me. I'm a mess. When I take my eyes off the fact that God is enough, man, I turn into a bastard. My true self shows through. Try to grab control, manipulate things. It's brutal because I've got to be enough. When he's not enough, I think I've got to be, right? Martha thought she had to be enough because Jesus wasn't enough. Man. I think the final beautiful thing here is that we get a glimpse of eternity. Jesus says that this good portion won't be taken away from her. It's not, it's not going to be taken away from her. This good portion lasts forever. It's not like that good wine. It's only good till it's gone. It's good forever. I guess the wine's good for maybe an hour after it's gone. Right? <laughs> The truth is, is one day your job will be taken away from you. It's good to love your job. It's good to work hard. It's not forever. There are eternal things happening in your job, sure. But someday your job's going to be taken away. One day your ministry will be taken away from you. Whatever that ministry is. And you all have a ministry, or many ministries. One day your spouse will be taken away from you. 
One day your house will be taken away from you. One day your mouse will be taken away. Your car, your health, your parents, your kids, your life. Right? They're going to be gone. Your good portion will never be taken away from you. Not ever. I have one thing. That brings us to that place. I have one thing. It's all I have. And everything else belongs to him. And whatever he does with all the other stuff, it doesn't matter because I'm still going to have just one thing. It's all I'm going to have. And that's enough. He's that good. He's that deep. He's that rich. He's that lasting. He's that complete. He's that much peace. He's that much love. He's that much fullness. He's that much joy. And he'll never be taken away. I'm glad you guys could listen in today while I preach to myself. Here's Psalm 16 to close. Just listen to this process that David goes through here. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we lose sight probably by 3 o'clock this afternoon. And so we thank you for your call to set in the center of our lives your word to us that reminds us, that instructs us, that pulls us back in, and above all else, it gives us you by your spirit would you give us you as our great delight as our one true portion as the only soul satisfying reality in our lives help us to choose this good portion and lord we're gonna work this week we're gonna work we're gonna get 
frustrated, we're going to get worried, we're going to get anxious, we're going to be stressed about a lot of things, some of us a lot worse than other people. And God, I pray in those moments we wouldn't hear a condemning voice from you, but that we would hear a soft welcome, that we would hear you pull us back in, maybe even still in our work, but being able to work and worship. Maybe even still in our service, but being able to serve with joy. Maybe still right in the midst of our duties, but being able to delight in you. My goodness, we lose sight. Help us. I lose sight. Ah. Oh. Thank you for the reminders. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for our friends that help us, our church that helps us, some of us, our spouses that help us, or maybe our parents that help us. We need to come back again and again to see the thing that is our good portion because it's eternal and it will not be taken away. Thank you for that truth that even so many times we will still grab for other things. You still aren't going to take yourself away from us. What a faithful and gracious God you truly are good, and we are thankful. In Christ's name, amen.